Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. I am back at it. And today it is another segment of Hey, Hun, You Woke Up Victim Voices. And today I have with me two guests. They've been here before, and I'm so excited that they are here again. I have Dr. Bill Keat and also Douglas Brooks, who is an attorney. Both of them are experts when it comes to the world of multi-level marketing. And today we are going to be talking about the importance of the public commenting about the possible rule that could impact multi-level marketing companies because it deals with um, misleading earnings claims. So welcome, Bill, and welcome, Doug. How are you guys doing today? Good. Great. Thanks for having us, Alana. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, donating your time because, you know, this is something that all of us here believe in and find very important. And we were just talking about the importance of people making comments because, as Bill said, you know, um, a comment is better than no comment at all. A bad comment, in terms of if it's not written just gloriously, is better than none at all. And so would you please give my audience, each of you, Bill, we'll start with you a little bit about your background in case they don't know who you are, even though they really should, because you guys are revered amongst us creators. Uh, but still, I would like to make sure that people do know who you are. Sure. Thank you. Um, so I'm a professor of marketing. Um, I was drawn into a court case back in the mid-90s called Golden Limited while I was a professor at the University of Kentucky. It was a de Department of Justice case. Um, it was my first exposure to MLM as a pyramid scheme. Um, I thought it was a very intriguing area. Um, I, uh, the case was successful. Um, actually, the founders uh, got 10 years in prison. Um, and uh, so uh, I then got some phone calls and uh, continued to engage in it. Um, went on to meet uh, Dr. Peter Vandernet, the then senior economist at the Federal Trade Commission, who worked on pyramid scheme cases. He and I wrote a paper together. It was published in 2002, the first academic paper to sort of try to draw the line between what might be legal multi-level marketing and what might be illegal pyramid scheme. And then in 2014, he and I wrote another paper on the history of this industry. Um, and I continued to work on projects. He continued to work on projects. And then I continued. And the more I'm involved, I got to meet people like Doug and uh, Stacey Bosley, who was the expert on Vima and AdvoCare and LuLaRoe. Um, I'm currently working on another academic paper, um, Doug and, and Alanda and others, uh, including myself, organized uh, the first MLM Consumer Protection Conference last year. And um, you know, stay tuned for more information on another one. Um, so I'm just happy to be here. And, and uh, this is a, uh, an industry that, that has done some real consumer harm, in my view. Thank you. And Doug? Uh, yeah, um... I'll go back to the, the, uh, to the 80s when I uh, worked in a firm that specialized in franchising and, and, and real distribution law. Uh, and uh, I, I, I worked at that firm for about five years, um, uh, and I handled cases all over the country. Then in the early 90s, I started working in a firm that did class action work, and we handled uh, a wide variety of cases, but included... Uh, cases against multi-level marketing companies, and we we ended up uh, uh, doing cases such as uh, Webster versus Omnitrition, where we got a great decision from the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, Rhodes versus Consumer Byline, uh, 
where uh, uh, the uh, the perpetrator of that pyramid scheme ultimately uh, developed a, a company called Nexium, which uh, was a, uh, a very infamous cult uh, uh, broke up, and that that guy is in jail. Uh, and uh, as, as the farther I get into it, the more I realize that this is this is an industry that causes great consumer harm and and. Uh, starting in the uh, 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 the mid '90s, I started uh, urging the, the Federal Trade Commission to, uh, to to regulate and and to tend to provide better disclosure, better regulation of this industry. Uh, and it, it's unbelievable that it's it's 27 years later, and we're still talking about the need for uh, for regulation. But I am excited that I think we're in a better position now than we've ever been. Uh, and that is really primarily due to the, the folks like you and, and, and Roberta and, and the, and the anti MLM uh, movement uh, who have really spread the word. Uh, when I started doing these cases back in the early nineties, a lot of victims, you know, they didn't find each other. Uh, you know, they, they lose money in an MLM and figure it was their own fault and because you know, that's how you're conditioned to, to believe. Uh, but um, uh, there was not, I mean, this was really the beginning of the, of the Internet uh, and, uh, you know, people didn't find themselves. Now people are out there and they're willing to tell their stories and to, uh, uh, even if they're uh, embarrassing or, or or hurtful, uh, they, they're they're coming up, going out there and and um, trying to protect uh, other people from these things. So I, I think you know this is uh, this is a positive development, and hopefully we can convince the Federal Trade Commission that they really need to do something uh, uh, productive uh, to 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 rein in uh, the, the harm that uh, that these companies cause. Absolutely. And I do want people to know that yesterday, Roberta of Life After MLM, she did a show also. I'm going to put the link into the chat. If you have not seen Roberta's show, you should definitely check it out. And also scrolling on the bottom is Michelle's website, mlmchange.org, which that's where you can go to stay up to date with a bunch of information. There's a bunch of us behind the scenes kind of, you know, locking arms. Oh my gosh. I really said that it's such an MLM thing to say. It just naturally comes out sometimes. I'm still so damaged from that entire experience. But anyway, we are all working together to jointly, you know, help get the word out as much as we possibly can. So today we are going to be talking about the potential rulemaking that could occur And I have some questions for you, which hopefully you guys can go back and forth between each other like we did last time. So here is the first thing that I want to ask. On February 17th of this year, the FTC held an open meeting and you both commented on the advance notice of proposed rulemaking concerning earnings claims. Explain the outcome of the meeting and what it means to those of us who are concerned about unethical business practices in multi-level marketing. Doug, you want to go with the process and all that first? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, the 
the rulemaking process, you know, the, the, the Federal Trade Commission can they can bring enforcement actions against companies that that are engaged in unfair or deceptive acts or practices. Uh, and they could also uh, uh, develop regulations that are designed to uh, prevent those practices happening in the first place. So the enforcement part is, you know, dealing with something that's already happened uh, and the regulation is designed to, to hopefully prevent it from happening in the first place. Um, and currently, uh, the, the, the Federal Trade Commission has a franchise rule that requires pre-sale disclosures for uh, franchise prospective franchisees. If you're going to buy a franchise, you get this huge disclosure statement that has you know 20 categories of information, information about the the company, about uh, your potential earnings, costs, the terms of the contract, all sorts of things. Um, MLM companies can avoid being covered by the franchise rule because they they don't have any they don't have required payments uh, in excess of five hundred dollars within the first six months. So if you if you structure your operation so that you don't require five hundred dollars uh, in payments in the first six months, then you can avoid coverage by the franchise rule. Um, so if you look at at, at MLM uh, you know starter kits. They're, they're always under $500. Um, and, and, and every MLM company will swear on a stack of Bibles that they don't have any other required payments, even though uh, we all know they have, uh, in effect, they have required payments because in order to achieve an advance in the various levels and to qualify to earn commissions, uh, you have to buy certain amounts of inventory. But, but uh, as a practical matter, uh, MLMs avoid uh, coverage by the by the federal by the uh, franchise rule. The FTC also uh, uh, about ten years ago passed something called the business opportunity rule, which originally was going to cover MLMs among other types of business opportunities that were not covered by the franchise rule. Uh, but the industry uh, mounted a very effective lobbying campaign. Uh, and, and got itself exempted from that rule. So MLM is the only type of business opportunity in the, in the United States that is not subject to a, a nationwide uh, pre-sale disclosure rule. Um, so that's, that's sort of the background. Um, now, what does, what's happened in the, in the meantime over the past uh, 30 or 40 years is, is the way the FTC has handled the uh, multi-level marketing industry is through enforcement actions. Um, they will uh, find, uh, you know, if there's a company that's causing uh, a, a greater than normal amount of, of, uh, of consumer complaints or harm, somehow, you know, it's, it's a little unclear how they make these decisions, uh, but they will sue a specific uh, MLM company and, Generally, they are very successful. I think they're, they, they either shut the companies down uh, or they get a consent decree where the company agrees to, uh, to stop operating as, as, a, as a pyramid scheme and, and refund money. Uh, but, uh, uh, and, and Bill's co-author on a number of academic papers, uh, Peter Vandernet, who has served as the, the FTC's expert in many of these cases, 
uh, and uh, you know they they generally uh, win. The problem with that approach is there's at any given moment there's seven or eight hundred MLMs operating in the United States, and the FTC simply can't go after they can't investigate all of these companies to see whether or not they are engaging in bad practices. Uh, and so for the for the most part. Um, uh, the the, uh, the 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 possibility of an enforcement action is a is a threat. It's 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 something that that an MLM company has to be worried about. Uh, but that they they they're just they're the industry dwarfs the the uh, the Federal Trade Commission. And of course, the other problem with enforcement actions is that it's always after the fact. You know, the damage has been done. People have have uh, got in. They've lost money. Uh, and however, you know, if you, if you, if you look at how much the FTC has recovered, uh, for consumers, it's, it's never, uh, enough to, to fully compensate people. Um, uh, so that, uh, you know, it, it, yes, it's great to shut down a company. It's great to recover some money, but there's still a lot of people out there who, who, uh, uh, you know, will never, uh, get back what they what they uh, what they poured into these companies. So so that's the background to where we are today. And what the what the Federal Trade Commission announced is that they um, they uh, they they want to start the rulemaking process. And the way they start that process is something called an advance notice of proposed rulemaking. And there is a paper. Uh, and I think uh, Alanda has linked to it, uh, and, and the, uh, below the, the the screen here, um, and uh, the the paper sets forth the justification for why they think a rule might be necessary. But what they've done here uh, may be a little problematical. They they have not focused on MLM specifically. They focused on all a, no, a number of types of, of businesses and industries that uh, make earnings claims. Uh, the uh, education, coaching, uh, uh, gig economy uh, uh, work, uh, and, uh, and, and MLM. And I, I mean, I'm a little concerned about how they're going to draft a rule that will encompass that wide variety of businesses. But uh, on the other hand, anything is better than nothing. So, um, you know, we can hope. And, and, and what we have now is uh, the, a 60-day period for public comments on whether this type of rule is necessary and what shape should the rule be? What things should the rule deal with? So this is a, a fantastic opportunity for uh, folks who have been burned by MLM to be heard by the federal agency that has the primary responsibility for, for regulating MLMs. This is your chance to be heard uh, and, and have a voice in, 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 uh, in, in how this uh, situation is going to be uh, dealt with. Uh, so uh, you know, I think I think one of the reasons I think Bill and I are both here is is to urge people to you know get out there, be heard, tell your story, and and uh, you know 
I've talked for a long time. I want to let Bill, you know, weigh in on this too. But that's that. There's the uh, the background as to where we are uh, today. And I'll just add a couple of points uh, to Doug's because he's he he really outlined, um, you know, important history that has contributed in a sense to the problem, which is uh, by not having uh, MLM covered by the business opportunity rule. Um, uh, uh, we are where we are. Um, and so there's a couple of things. First of all, um, a rule um, that requires some sort of disclosures and, and record keeping, et cetera, um, uh, will help the FTC monitor the industry. In other words, what people do. Um, so, you know, when we think of like an OSHA or something like that, which is occupational safety, companies have to keep records of people who get hurt at work, right? And so um, with the absence of a rule, uh, MLM companies, top distributors and others, uh, other distributors have been able to do things um, pretty much unaware that the the regulators were unaware of, or at least unaware of the magnitude of it, because there was no required reporting at all. Um, and so uh, I think it's, it's telling uh, that when they looked at Herbalife, uh, uh, when Bill Ackman shorted the company and they did have an investigation, that the upshot of that investigation was a $200 million penalty and seven years of monitoring. This is a company, an MLM company that's existed since 1980. Now, how is it? Uh, what were they doing or not doing that would cause the FTC to recover $200 million worth of funding to give to victims and get the company to agree to seven years of monitoring? It's true they didn't charge them a pyramid scheme, but it shows you how little, I think, the FTC knows about how companies operate. And they don't know, as, as Doug said, until they have an enforcement action. This would then, this rule has the potential of making the industry more transparent, not just more transparent to distributors and people like us who are interested in what's going on there, but also the regulators themselves. And the other thing that I would point to is, uh, as Doug said, the the FTC, like every um, uh, regulatory agency, has X amount of resources, and the FTC has some pretty um, heavy uh, 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 topics to cover, like antitrust, which have huge implications for an industry and for consumers. Um, so they have limited resources, they have limited amount of time. Um, and uh, so um, it takes them you know, a while to get focused on a company. Now you look at a company like AdvoCare. AdvoCare was a member of the Direct Science Association, received an award from the Direct Science Association, and it had operated for 25 years. I feel fairly confident that had this rule been in place, that wouldn't have happened, or at least it wouldn't have operated the way they did. Um, and the same would be for Vima. And I think Vima was operating for about, I think nine years, but I may be wrong. It may have been six, but so the point is that, that of course we, we can't monitor and, 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 and uh, reduce consumer harm if we don't have information. And um, as Doug said, this is an opportunity, the first opportunity since 
uh, the business opportunity rule um, and uh, for us to actually uh, um, uh, make a difference. And um, every comment, everyone who chimes in, everyone who submits a comment, even if it's a paragraph, um, is contributing to the evidence of con the need for consumer protection. I yeah, think I, I, if I could riff off that a little bit, I mean, you know, when you're, I, I urge you to make comments and I urge, you know, don't let the, the perfect be the enemy of the good enough, you know, just um, don't worry about the format or the language, you know, the, 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 the fact that you're submitting a comment and you're complaining about being hurt by an MLM, that, that, you know, gets you counted and it, it adds to the, 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 the process. I mean, someone at the FTC does read every single thing and you, you will get uh, counted and categorized. If you do more than that, great. If you, if you, can, if you can make some of the points that uh, Bill will, will get into uh, uh, later and he got into on, on Roberta's uh, live stream yesterday, uh, that's wonderful. But um, the key thing, you know, tell, tell your story. Um, I, you know, the other you know, sort of cliche I, I, I'd say is, you know, 80% of life is showing up. And, you know, if you don't do anything, uh, it's like not voting. You know, why, why should a politician listen to you if, you if you don't vote? But this is your chance to vote uh, on, on whether uh, these companies uh, should be, able, be allowed to continue to operate the way they've been operating. So. And, and uh, don't forget that the harm that has been caused in some cases, if we use the example of AdvoCare again, 25 years, we're talking about not just harming um, a family, possibly even harming their children when their children grew up to be adults. I mean, we could talk about multi-generational kind of harm if we don't fix this problem, uh, right. make it more transparent. When the business opportunity rule, when people were able to comment on that, I know that in terms of the DSA and MLM companies themselves, there were something like 17,000 comments. I mean, just a truckload of comments. They came out in force. And so that's why I think it's super important for us to make whatever comment we're going to make. And myself, I've been working on mine. I think I've run it past both of you. And it's four pages. So, you know, I, I mean, I probably could write more, honestly. But that's what I'm kind of wondering is like, should a comment be succinct? Should you go into detail? Does it matter? Is there something that people should focus on specifically? How would you say that interplays with all of this? Well, I'll go ahead and I'll start and then Doug can pick up from there. The, the most important thing is, as Doug had said earlier, is that you tell your story. Um, in other words, uh, they don't want to hear about other people's stories. Uh, they don't want to hear about, you know, I know 10 people that whatever. They, they want to know uh, 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 what, what happened to you when you were with an MLM, particularly as it pertains to earnings claims. And so if you can tell your story and um, if you can give evidence in support of your story, uh, screenshots, uh, anything you might have that shows, uh, you know, captured social video, uh, social media things that shows the persistence of messaging that downplayed the people who didn't make money that upplayed, you know, lifestyles and things like that. So, you know, uh, 
if you were encouraged by your own upline to tell certain stories, even if you knew that wasn't an accurate representation, um, that too uh, can can help um, illustrate your point. But the point is, you know, for you as, as an individual, and and I would just say, um, if you don't mind, when you do your comment, contact two of your friends that were involved and ask them to comment too. And they'll contact too, and so on. <laughs> I, yeah, let me. I, I just add to that a little bit. The 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 with with the business opportunity rule, those thousands of, of comments, uh, a lot of them were cookie cutters that the uh, um, uh, that the, the the direct selling association and the MLM industry sort of put together. So you had thousands of people submitting essentially identical comments, uh, and then some you know, poor schmuck at the FTC had to sit down and, and tabulate all those things. I, I don't want to see that from, from, from our side of the, the fence here. I, I, I would like to see people submit their own story in their own words. And I, I, so I don't want to like draft a, 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 uh, a, a model so that people will just copy it and send it in. It, you know, take a few minutes and, and tell your story. If you can do more, great. Uh, but, you know, short is good. Long is good. Uh, anything is better than, uh, than nothing. So I, I you know, it, it, there's no, there, there are no rules here. You really can, can um, uh, go ahead and, 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 you know, focus on uh, uh, you know what you want to focus on. I mean, they they are they are focused on on deceptive earnings claims. It, that it, so I you you should you know uh, indicate you know what what were you told before you joined about how much money you could make, uh, and was it a specific amount or was it you know you can pay off your debt or or buy a car or put your kids through school or you know the, the so called lifestyle claims. Uh, how, what were you told about what you could make? And then what was your actual experience? Uh, how much did you lose or, or, or you, know, uh, you know, however, however you want to do that. But, uh, but you know, your, your own words are, are, will be extremely powerful, uh, much more powerful than simply uh, doing thousands of, of cookie cutter uh, uh, responses. And I just noticed Michelle's note uh, there about evidence and the best to show a lot out of one person to show uh, the persistence or a lot out of different people. Um, I would say that um, obviously, you know, both is fine. I mean, the more the merrier, um, the, the, a lot out of one person would be particularly uh, interesting. I think to the FTC, if that person was a very high level distributor, um, if you have a high level distributor, who's time and time again, saying things that misrepresent earnings claims, um, that says something to the FTC because high-level distributors are close to the company. And, um, and so therefore, um, you know, whether the company is uh, um, actively agreeing with these kinds of statements or tacitly just laying back and letting them be said, um, if you have statements made by high-level distributors um, uh, that are misrepresenting um, earnings um, and misrepresenting the probability of success, those kinds of things. Um, and, and these statements, by the way, and I mentioned this a little bit yesterday, these statements uh, aren't just for recruitment. 
these statements are also for retention. So if you have been in an MLM and you're wondering, you know, after I've been in it for a little while, am I going to be successful with this? I haven't gotten the income I had hoped to. I'm, I'm spending money on going to events or, or training or, or coaching or whatever. So I'm, I'm still, I'm kind of behind financially. Um, if you go to events and people, uh, uh, whether they speak to you face to face individually or they speak from the stage, if their goal seems to be to convince you to keep trying because you're right around the corner from success and they knew someone who was just in the same position you were in and then six months later, look what they did. And they had this big success. If those are the kinds of messages you're hearing um, and, uh, and you can you can share them without hardcore evidence that, you know, it's just your experience you're sharing. But if you also have the evidence, um, the FTC would want to see that. Um, and the uh, from different people, I think, you know, Michelle, uh, the point there is that, you know, you operate once you're in a downline, you're operating as sort of kind of an environment. You have your own upline. You have other people who have joined. Um, you have people you have recruited. Um, and then you have messaging from the corporation or messaging from other downlines. And, and that helps to show the breadth of the messaging. Um, and so also good evidence for per, per, pervasiveness. Good question. Okay. Oh, thank you. Okay, let me ask you this. Okay, if there are, ends up being a rule, we don't know what that rule is, but if there is a rule about deceptive earning claims, how do you think that will change the multi-level marketing industry or will it? I'll let you start, Doug. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, in a, in, a, in a sense, I mean, the industry has been very good at sort of rolling with the punches. And um, I, I, I think that um, what we've seen over the past few years is a number of companies have started providing, you know, what they call earnings disclosures, uh, even though they're, they're not required to do so. Uh, and I think... Um, uh, there are a couple of reasons why they're doing that. One is uh, precisely to um, prevent the kind of thing that we're talking about here, because you know one of their arguments to the FTC is going to be, "Hey, you know we're already providing earnings uh, information. You know, we're, we're good corporate citizens. Uh, we're you know we're providing uh, as much information as as we can, and you're definitely going to hear the Direct Selling Association say this." Uh, because I, I think a lot of their members uh, do do provide these these uh, uh, notices, uh, and I you know Bill could get into how they're deceptive, um, but it's certainly more than than they used to provide, uh, you know, twenty or thirty years ago. Um, uh, of course, the other another reason why they do this is is they it, it's it basically it's a defense to a civil suit. So if if a distributor sues a company for uh, for fraud or for deception uh, and uh, uh, claims that they were misled into uh, joining a company, the company will say, hey, we provided you with a, a disclosure statement and you signed the receipt right here uh, uh, so you knew what you were getting into. And a lot of judges faced with that uh, kind of evidence will, will throw a case out of court. So th th it's a defensive move on their part. Uh, so, but they are, 
they're, they are geared up to, and they certainly have the information technology that, that will enable them to, to, to make uh, earnings claims. That, you know, one of the keys is going to be what is the format, what is the, um, uh, you know, what kind of information uh, are, are they going to be required to do it? And, and, and they're going to have to do it in a non-deceptive way because the way the, the earnings claims are, are, are presented now is, 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 uh, is very deceptive. Um, another, another thing that, that will affect them, I think, is also the timing of when people get these disclosures. Um, both for the franchise rule and the business opportunity rule, there is a waiting period. So the way it's supposed to work is you get your disclosure and then you have to wait in, in, the, in the business opera rule, you have to wait a week and with the franchise rule, you have to wait 14 days before you're required to sign anything or, or before you can pay anything. Uh, and I think those are critical uh, provisions because it gives people a chance to, uh, to, to consider what they're doing, to research, um, uh, to, to uh, take a step back and wonder, you know, what are they really getting themselves into? Um, uh, and I think the industry, it, it, it may be they are much more concerned about a waiting period than, than they are with, uh, with whatever kinds of, of earnings disclosures they might, might be required to make. Because the, 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 the typical MLM recruitment uh, uh, process uh, relies on uh, people sort of making uh, instant decisions in a, in a, in a high-pressure environment uh, where, where they're not really given an opportunity to think about what they're doing. And, and, and the key thing they want you to do is to, is, to, is to pay something, to buy something, you know, to get, you know, to, 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 you know, to write a check. And, and then, you know, the sunk cost fallacy uh, starts operating. And, you know, once you've, you've made that, that critical first investment, you know, your inclination is to invest more in order to, to protect that investment. Uh, so they, they want you to, to sign up and, and pay something before you really know what you're doing. And this waiting period, uh, and, and, and I want to be very clear, I, I, it needs to be a waiting period and not a, a, not a cooling off period. A cooling off period uh, as you know, when some of you who have gotten second mortgages know, you you can there's a three day right of rescission. So you sign everything, but you've got three days to decide whether or not you want to cancel it. Um, I don't think that uh, is. I, I think you know, if I were the industry, I would be pushing for a cooling off period as opposed to a waiting period because they could deal with a right of rescission because most people don't exercise it. Most people don't follow up and, 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 uh, and cancel the deal. Once they've made that decision, they, they want to stick with it. Uh, so I think uh, that that waiting period is, is crucial. It's got to be, I think it's got to be at least a week. Um, and I think that the industry will be very, uh, th that will have an impact on, on how the industry operates. I, and I'm sorry to go on a little bit long, but the, the, you know, the question is, you know, will this change the industry? I, I mean, I happen to think de deceptive earnings claims are a symptom of, of the bigger problem, which is uh, the, the key problem is the compensation plans that incentivize people to, 
to buy stuff that they can't sell. Uh, and, you know, the way, you know, the only way to really solve the problem with this industry is to, is to eliminate those, uh, those incentives. Um, deceptive earnings claims are just uh, something that's almost inevitable once you have a, a, a system where people uh, uh, are induced to, to, um, uh, to recruit others in order to recoup their, their investment. Uh, right. Um, and I'll, I'll just take off on, on that. Um, so if we were to compare the compensation structure of single level, single level direct selling, which is the traditional direct selling Avon lady uh, back from the late 1800s until in the case of Avon up until about 1990s. So for about a, roughly 100 years, um, uh, if we were to look at that, um, if, if you sold a product, you got a commission. You got a commission on the products you sold. You didn't get commissions on other products uh, that other people sold. Um, and um, if we look at the incentive structure in the MLM industry, of course, uh, you do not get a commission on the product you sold. Uh, in fact, um, you have to qualify to get a commission. And those qualify, qualification structure are a set of hurdles. And those hurdles are reached by volume. And that's what um, Doug's talking about there in terms of incentivizing purchases. And the other way to look at it is from that from the firm's perspective. So it's, there's a lot, a lot of data, decades of data to show that every year, a fairly large portion of people who join an MLO company will become inactive. Um, there's a lot of data to show it. And yet at the same time, every time those people made a purchase when they were active, uh, the company was making money and someone in the upline was making money. So the, they are incentivized to get the downline to buy. Now, why would they buy? Well, they buy because this is a great product and, and, and uh, uh, they're told that. Um, but the other reason they buy is because there's earnings up ahead. If you buy this product, if you qualify, you too will be up on this stage yeah. in another three or four months. You too will qualify for that leased car that may or may not be a good deal for you financially. So the, the, the incentives, the financial incentives for the parent firm and for the um, upline um, are, are not aligned with the financial incentives of the uh, lower level distributors. Um, so in other words, we have a large group of lower level distributors who are financially worse off um, during any particular period, let's say a calendar year or a quarter, while at the same time, at the same time, their upline and the company are better off because of their activities. I have another question for you guys, and I popped up on the screen. Um, I'm a former beach body coach, and I remembered I had this document, and it's the team cycle income calculator because, you know, they are very deceptive in terms like you do make money from selling the product, so to speak, but you can't really make money doing just retail sales. You have to recruit people. And in this one, it is if you were, <clears throat> excuse me, seeking an income of just $50,000 a year. And these are some of the numbers that I'm using in my particular um, 
comment that you would need to have 230 people in your downline on Shakeology Home Direct, which would mean that each month you would need to sign up 16 people. That's four per week. And the likelihood of that is slim and next to none. And I also have the numbers for if you wanted to make $100,000, and of course, you know, it just doubles. But my question is, do you think providing this type of evidence showing that it's not possible to be able to do this will be useful? Alana, can I, can I ask you a question? Is, is this document, is this a company document that was put out so that you could calculate the income you, you might earn? Or you know, what's it came from an it? upper upper level person. I don't even remember where I got it from, but it the was reason, not put out by Beachbody. Yeah, the reason I ask is because one of the types of you know, the, the the FTC has been going after deceptive earnings claims for a long time. I mean, essentially every time they go after an MLM company, they allege both that it's a pyramid scheme and that it's making deceptive claims. So we do have some authority. And, and of course, the, the business opportunity rule has a definition of what's uh, 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 deceptive. Um, and one of the types of deceptive claims is, is this type of, of formula where you can, you know, the, the, the company provides something that you can, you can plug in and, and it'll calculate, you know, let's say, you, you know, if you recruit five people, how much money you'll make. If you recruit 10 people, how much money you'll make. Um, and that is considered deceptive unless, of course, there's a reasonable basis for it and there never is. Um, so uh, the reason I ask is if this is, uh, you know, either a company document or a high-level distributor document, I think this would be considered a deceptive claim. And even, even without the rule, um, the, the, the FTC would, you know, that if, if they were inclined to bring an enforcement action, they, they would say, hey, this is, this is a deceptive claim. And, and you know this because we've 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 litigated this uh, this issue before, um, but uh, you know as to your question, uh, you know absolutely. I think the fact that they're giving this type of document out, whether it's the company or a high level distributor, it doesn't matter. Both are important. Uh, that you should bring that out. Uh, but in terms of what are what a a, a rule should provide, it. it a, Whatever whatever the rule is, it should not permit this type of of uh, uh, of, of claim because um, you're right; it's totally unrealistic. Uh, you're you're not going to be able to to recruit that many people per week every week for a whole year. It's just it is, and and the company will actually have information indicating how many people you know what the actual uh, recruitment pattern is. Uh, and there, you know, there may be one or two people at the top of the chain that if you if you look at the all of the recruitment going on in their downlines, yeah, maybe they 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 do have something like this, but that's going to be a fraction of one percent of, of of distributors. Uh, most people aren't going to be anywhere near this. And the company does have info will have information that 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 will refute that. And I think I also, oh sorry, go ahead, Bill. No, go ahead. 
Um, I'm going to say I also calculated like, okay, if you just wanted to do retail sales and I just picked the product Shakeology, which retails for $129.95, distributors earn 25% or $32.49. In order to make that $50,000 a year, they would need to sell 1,538 bags of Shakeology annually, which translates into 128 bags a month or 29 bags a week or four bags a day. That is impossible to do. No one could possibly do that. And so I was going to include that as well. Right. I think that a, a number of points that are also interesting. First of all, those 230 people are not going to stay with you the whole year. Right. True. So you're going to, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, um, uh, the reality is if you, if you need to have on average 230 uh, people in your downline um, uh, each year in order to earn 50, you're actually going to have to create, you're, you're actually going to have to um, recruit more than what's shown here because you're going to lose a third of your people every year or more. Um, so you're going to have to keep recruiting it, of course. The other point about it is that, so you're going to have to recruit this for, you have to build it up and then you have to keep maintaining it. The other part of this is, all 230 of those people could be making no income at all. Yep. And I think that's, that's uh, important to note because, uh, you know, if, if, in other words, if we take this to the next level and I, I'm a little, I don't know what the total volume needed to cycle number of cycles per week. What does that mean there? Um, hang on. Let me pull it up so I can actually see it. The, what was it that you said? The what? You said the t total volume needed to cycle. So I, I nine. Okay, so you're at rank Emerald, you're 14. Total volume needed to cycle number of cycles per week. You need, okay, a team volume cycle to hit the cycle, you need 300 volume points. Okay. So you could have, say, 200 on your left side, 100 on your right, right side together, that makes 300. So you would need to hit that 69 times a week. A week. A week, yes. Okay. So I think that, you know, there's a number of ways. So what what I believe the FTC um, could learn a little bit more about are the issues that we talk about in terms, used to be a term called breakage. So, uh, you know, we're, we're trying, if you're, if you're being told, look, these numbers are doable. Um, in fact, these numbers, the reality of trying to maintain $50,000 a year isn't fully reflected in these numbers. Um, and, and in addition to that, imagine if those 230,000 people, 230 people in your downline, imagine if all 230 of them wanted to make $50,000 a year. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, imagine what that would look like. And that's something that the FTC needs to know. But you, in other words, you could achieve your $50,000 and every one of those 230 people could be in a negative financial position. You know, Alana, you also asked, I mean, I think part of this income was supposedly retail, retail sales. I did that separately. This, this this right here does not include retail sales. Right. Well, because I, I would say to, to the extent that an earnings claim relies on retail sales, again, the company 
should have uh, a, a, a reasonable basis for making that claim, which means they need to collect actual retail sales data from their distributors, which right now there's only one company in the, in the country that is required to do that, and that's Herbalife uh, under the terms of the, uh, uh, the settlement with the, with the FTC. Uh, they have to, uh, uh, you know, collect uh, actual earnings uh, data um, uh, and, and to demonstrate because they need that this, it's, it isn't enough to have retail sales. They should be profitable retail sales. Right. Um, but if so, if they're making to the extent they're making an earnings claim based on retail sales, in part, uh, they need to have uh, data to back that up. They can't just assume that people are going to sell at suggested retail and and make you know a, a, a you know 30 or 40 percent margin whatever whatever it is they need to show that people are actually selling uh, at uh, suggested retail and, and they're not selling at cost or below cost just to get rid of the stuff in their basement um, but um, so I, I, I'd say you know definitely uh, information about uh, actual retail sales, uh, would would be you know that that would be extremely helpful and and, and representations about uh, retail sales uh, uh, would be important to to provide to the to the FTC because they need they need they need to know that for you know for for the vast majority of companies in this area I mean the retail sales just are not happening uh, the the way the companies uh, are are portraying it. Um, yeah. Now, Beachbody has gone down the path that other companies have, and that is preferred customers. And I forget how it works with Beachbody now, but it's basically like if you are not maintaining your rank of Emerald, because that's the first rank you hit, you can be knocked down to a preferred customer, but you're still part of the overall network. You're just not, you know, considered an active coach that's progressing. I believe it goes something like that. Yeah. Um, the next that's, question. that's really, really interesting because I, I currently representing a whistleblower who is providing a, of a large, she's a high level distributor in a large MLM, uh, providing information to the FTC. And one of the, uh, one of the issues that, that he's provided, uh, information on is, is this, uh, this, whole preferred customer uh, thing, which is, which is something that was uh, that, that again, is a, it's a, tr it's something that's developed over the past few years. Uh, the industry used to provide report that there were uh, X number of, of distributors, MLM distributors in the country. Uh, now they say, well, I, I, you know, that a lot of those people were really just customers uh -huh. so they shifted. And I, I, I don't know, was it 2017 or 2016? Uh, there's a there was a huge dip uh, that the DSA reported in in the in the number of distributors, and the reason for that dip was because they started they recategorized a bunch of folks uh, and said they well they're not really distributors they're preferred customers. So this customer structure has become uh, I think the DSA's uh, approach to um, uh, sort of. Uh, address the you know the, the the pyramid scheme problem. 
And with Beachbody, once you lose that rank, if you had people underneath you and once you are Emerald, you can get some like basically get start a list. You get, you know, like say 10 people sent to you that you can then market to. Those people then get shifted to your upline. So you have to start over again each time you drop out, each time you make it, and then each time you fall. Start over and over and over, which I think is even worse than what it used to be when I was part of it. Well, part of the deception there, of course, is, um, and I don't think deception is too strong of a word, um, is um, that uh, it's convenient to move labels around um, because they're using these labels, preferred customer, whatever, to suggest a role that's different from being a distributor. But they they sign the same contract um, and they treat these distributors and preferred customers rather fluidly. In other words, um, if a preferred customer wanted to do some recruitment, I suppose they could, couldn't they? Why couldn't they? Of course they could. And so the, um, the, 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 they found it convenient because, and, and, and maybe it has to do with the language of the settlement with the, with Herbalife. I'm not sure, but they found it convenient now to just, um, talk about people who buy the product um, have had no earnings, um, and uh, they that percentage of distributors in the past has always been a really large percentage that had no earnings at all. Um, so now to just label them as preferred customers um, is, you know, I believe uh, disingenuous, um, but um, it's the only way the industry can keep. Um, from from being too transparent. No, it's hiding the truth that these people are still trying to have quote unquote financial success, financial freedom, time freedom, all those things that MLM claim you can get through the opportunity. And it's just not the case. And one of the problems that I believe with what income claims we do have out there is that they don't have like a standard data that they all have to have. And they also leave out a lot of data, such as the total number of distributors, the total number of distributors at each rank. They don't provide the mean, mode, and median of different things. They do not tell us the total sales to prefer what they classify as preferred customers versus retail. So if there were to be um, some sort of you know ruling on this, what are the types of things that you believe would need to be standardized across the board within the industry to be included? Well, first of all, um, I think the FTC is going to have to uh, um, address this issue of preferred customers sooner, sooner or later. Um, uh, and I'm, and that, that may or may not be part of this rule, unlike the other areas that this rule could apply to, like gig workers or whatever. Um, the, um, if, if I have the capacity to classify a, a distributor um, as a non-distributor, as a preferred customer, um, I have the ability to control what the data looks like. And that's a problem, right? And so the uh, the that I think is going to have to be addressed. Now the reality is that um, if I say to you, "Won't you join my MLM?" 
Uh, you may like our product. I think you'll find it's a good product um, and it's a fair price. It's a distributor price. I think you'll enjoy it. And oh, by the way, we have this business opportunity that you can pursue or not pursue or pursue part-time or whatever. Um, and, and you um, are uh, buying the product um, for nine months, 12 months, 18 months, and then you stop. Does that mean you were never trying to be eligible for earnings if you maintained your buying purchases? I don't, I don't know. I mean, and they, they can't be allowed to change that because if they do that, they'll change the data. Yeah. Change the data itself from what we see right now. Um, the typical earnings claim is, is based on averages. As you say, they don't say the mean, they don't say the mode. Um, so the uh, it's not evident to someone, um, uh, uh, you know, where, how that distrib- distribution is. Um, and even... Um, you know, even someone who's kind of familiar with statistics, which lots of people aren't, and there's no reason they need to be necessarily, I mean, it's not their job, but um, um, most people who are not familiar with statistics may not get the message that when the mean and the median are so far apart, there's a problem here with distribution, with the distribution of the earnings, the distribution curve. And um, the reality is, they have the data. They could actually show us a picture of the curve. I mean, they could graphically, visually represent the curve to us. We would see this really weird shaped thing with a long, long, long tail. Um, and so, so this use of averages is a problem. Use of medians uh, is helpful, but it's got to be done in a certain way. I, I know uh, I can't remember the firm right now, but they did, they broke out categories of averages and then they gave one median for the entire group. That doesn't work that way. Uh, that's not helpful information. Um, so, so that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem and I talked a little bit about it last, last yesterday was this issue of persistence because, you know, even though we all, take pride in how we try to dig in to make ourselves successful trying to do something, whether it's, you know, um, you know, making something out of wood or becoming a successful uh, uh, distributor of MLM. You know, uh, we recognize, of course, that some people um, uh, uh, are better at it than others, and some people are in markets where things do better than others, et cetera. Um, so then we look to people who have been successful. Well, if we look at them, it's some level, somewhere along the way, we're trying to figure out whether or not we can be successful at that. Um, And so if we're trying to figure out whether or not we can be successful at that, we need to know this issue of top earner persistence. Um, And so that's the issue of um, how many of those people in those higher categories are the same people year after year? And so if they are the same people year after year, your probability of achieving those levels is much different than the earnings claims suggest and could be at the 0.000 level. I mean, almost, you know, you'd have a better chance of winning the lottery kind of thing. Um, so it's um, information that they have. Right. They, of course, know um, um, how people persist. Um, they have information on um, retention. They, they have this information. They may not have retail sales, meaning, and I, by that I mean sales to non-distributors. 
Um, and I'll just throw out, this is just a sort of a, a FYI kind of thing. Years ago, um, the MLMs realized that this issue of retail sales could trip them up uh, because of retail sales tax. So um, if, if, if uh, Alanda, if you recruit me and then I go and I sell some product to Doug, my neighbor, um, and that's a retail sales, then in fact, um, someone should be collecting tax on that sale and reporting to the state, right? So what the MLMs did is they just prepaid all that retail tax. Oh, so wow. we, we can't see we can't see who's selling what to who as a result. But didn't they do that based on, on the assumption that actually the, the sale to the distributor was a retail sale as opposed to a, the, whatever the distributor was selling to, to their supposed customers? Right. They did. But but that approach obscures the distinction between who's yeah. the retailer. Yeah. If, if I, I mean, if you look at the Amway Safeguard 70% rule, you have to sell 70% of your last per, uh, purchase either at wholesale or retail. That suggests that you could retain up to 30% of it, right? And if you retained up to 30% of it for your own consumption, then in that those cases, um, that would make Amway the retailer and you the consumer. And then Amway would be responsible for collecting the retail uh, sales tax on that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, if I was to sell it to another distributor at a wholesale price and that, and that distributor then sells it to uh, uh, their neighbor who is not affiliated at all, a non-distributor at a retail price, it's actually their obligation to collect the retail sales tax, not Amway's. But, but by collect by paying all the retail sacks in advance, it obscures all of that. I agree. You know, and I wanted to, you know, your, your, your discussion about persistence, uh, I think, you know, and, and data, I mean, I think that there is not consistency in, in how MLMs uh, deal with, I mean, I call it attrition, but it's the sort of the other side of the coin, yep. but, but th there's no, sort of consistency in how, you know, what does it mean? Is it, does it mean you didn't order anything for three months or six months or, or uh, a year? Uh, and, and companies, I mean, Herbalife has definitely changed the way they deal with um, uh, uh, persistence, uh, you know, over, over the years uh, and to the point where it's, it's, it's very confusing. I, I'm not sure you can, you can figure out how they actually do it. You just have to sort of take their word for it as to how they, um, uh, you know, how they uh, present that, uh, that data. Uh, other companies don't report it at all. I mean, the, 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 that's one of the big ugly uh, uh, secrets of the industry is, is, is you know, that there's just no reporting of, of, uh, uh, of attrition rates or dropout rates or you know, however you want to talk, uh, describe it. Um, but... Well, let me ask you guys this. So if there is a rule, magic land, a rule has been, you know, set forth, do you think it will help reduce harm at a large scale? Or do, is this just basically one step towards hopefully regulating the overall industry much closer? Well, it's obviously going to depend on what the rule ends up being. Um, and um, so if there's a rule and it makes it all the way through, 
Um, and, um, you know, if we, I mean, first of all, and I think I said this yesterday, if not, um, the FTC is always going to disappoint me. Um, not because they're not earnest people trying to do a good job and because the, the FTC people I have encountered were earnest people trying to do a good job. Um, it's a very difficult task to do and it can get very political and you have a very embedded industry here, an industry that is politically active, an industry that's uh, got, got thousands and thousands and thousands of employees sprinkled around the country, sometimes in some cases may even be the biggest employer in a community. Um, for example, certainly Amway was one of the bigger employers uh, uh, um, in the Grand Rapids area, I'm sure, um, uh, and certainly the biggest in Ada. Um, so the this is an industry that's, that's uh, tough to regulate. Um, and so uh, I, I hope that the rule will come out in a way that will show more about the industry. If it does that, if it more accurately re represents the MLM distributor experience, it will reduce consumer harm and MLMs will have a harder time recruiting and keeping people. Um, and that's what the MLMs don't want. You know, uh, again, if you go back and you think about churn, um, of all the people you've ever known who have been in an MLM, how long, how many of them have stayed more than three or four years? Um, and as a supplement to that, how many of them have tried more than one MLM? So you have this churning going on that's, um, if I am a, 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 a top level distributor or if I'm the parent company, I know exactly what that churn is. I know exactly how much money I can make off these people. And, and so uh, I don't want rules that are going to limit my ability to do that. And I don't want rules that are going to hurt my ability to get people to stay longer, like my retention efforts. Um, so if the rule is reasonably good rule um, and produces reasonably accurate uh, information about distributor experiences, including expenses, um, net earnings, those kinds of things, um, I think it will have an impact on the industry. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll second that, uh, both the, the positive and, and the negative. Um, yes, it will improve things, uh, but it won't, it won't solve things. Um, as like I, I said before, in, 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 until you actually get into the nitty-gritty of the compensation plans, you're not really... Uh, uh, solving a problem, uh, I think. But I, 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 you know, I say that. But I, I, I you know, if if, if deceptive, if, if rule against deceptive earnings claims is the best we can do right now, then we should do it. Um, I mean, that's the way politics is played. You know, you it's the art of the possible. So, um, you know, I, I, it's not all I can hope for, but um, it. it you know, it's better than, 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 than we've had. And, and we, we came close with the BizOp rule. And not only did, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier, it wasn't just that there were thousands of those cookie cutter uh, responses by people. There were, there were four letters signed by, I think, 80 congressmen uh, arguing against uh, in, uh, including MLM in the rule. So the, the industry, uh, you know, they, they had a multi-pronged uh, uh, lobbying uh, attack 
and we're going to see um, much more. more of the same uh, uh, squared uh, in, in response to this effort. Um, yeah, that's right. And 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 uh, to go back to Doug's original concern, the fact that this could include, uh, involve other industries like the gig workers, et cetera, just makes the political issue more complex. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had mentioned, uh, and I probably should have even put this on uh, at the end of my slides and I can do that, but uh, I think it would be very helpful if every person in the United States who makes a comment would save their comment and send it to um, their congressional representative and their two senators. Everybody has one congressional representative and two senators. And there's a there is a uh, website you can go to if you aren't quite sure who your representative is. You just put in your address or whatever, and it tells you. All of them have emails for submitting comments to them. Okay, um, and so and those emails are monitored by staff. Uh, and I have no doubt in every case in all 400 and some Congress congressional offices that those on a regular basis staff meet with the congressional the member of Congress and says, here's what the emails are saying. Here's what we're hearing. And so, um, uh, you know, the, it, it's really important. And um, to tell you how sensitive the Congress uh, members of Congress are, sometimes you might go to a congressional a member of Congress's website. And um, I have wanted to put in a comment, but I couldn't because I'm not in their constituency. And it says right there, they want to know where you live. They want to hear from their people, their own people. And remember, they get reelected every two years. And I worked full-time for a U.S. congressman for one year. And that is a tough job. You're, you're looking to get reelected almost after you just got elected. Um, and certainly within uh, before the second term, the second year of the term starts, you're already doing fundraising and getting ready for your next campaign. Uh, so they're hypersensitive to constituent uh, concerns. Um, and so if you are articulate, I mean, I don't mean articulate in the sense that you, you just mean that you, if you can tell your story, even briefly in a paragraph, four or five sentences, if you have more than that, fine. If you have evidence they would like to know it, even if they're sympathetic to the industry, uh, because we know for sure the industry is going to bring them out. The industry is going to deliver con congressional opinions, uh, individual congressmen voicing their opinion. They're going to get senators. Uh, Senator Blackburn's a big fan of the industry. And Samina has accepted donations to the industry. Romney's worked with the industry and others. So um, they're going to get those voices out there. Um, and we can too. Uh, and we can let our, um, I, I live in Connecticut, so I can let my con congressman and my two senators know um, that I have a real concern and, and that I hope that they will, um, uh, uh, you know, be supportive of the FTC's efforts in this rulemaking process. Uh, and while you're, you know, as long as you're in the mode of copying and pasting your your comments to your congressmen and senators, do the same thing with your state uh, representatives and 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 your your state's AG, um, whoever, whoever has responsibility for for uh, you know consumer protection in your state. Um, they all have websites. They all have uh, uh, the facilities for 
people to email them. Um, you know, if you're, if you're going to go through the trouble of writing up your story, uh, spread it around. Uh, That's right. That's right. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, we talked a little bit about this uh, yesterday and, and it's come up in other contexts too. People who, who are active in the anti-MLM uh, movement or I don't want to talk the movement of the social media phenomenon, but the people who are active in it um, have some very shared experiences and shared perspectives and shared ideas about this industry and, and about the harm caused. And in some, they perhaps disagree. They disagree on what motivated this, or what did that person really mean, or or what what was what was that all about? Um, so the focus here is on what we share, right? The concerns that we share for the next person that's going to be uh, going to a um, you know a, a business opportunity meeting uh, held by a, a friend of theirs, or a neighbor, or a former college roommate, or something. Um, uh, the people that uh, are in our lives um, that um, don't know what we know about the experience. Uh, so uh, if we think about those people, uh, then I hope any differences we might have about how best to attack the problem or, you know, what was intended or not intended. Um, I think uh, we can put those differences aside and focus on getting the FTC to develop a really good rule that will cause this industry to be more transparent. I think that's all excellent. And I was, that's what exactly what I was planning on doing is just sending what I'm going to say to as many people as possible. And another place I was thinking of sending it, and you can let me know if this is a good idea or not a good idea. Um, For instance, here, ABC channel 13, we have, someone who like looks into consumer type things. And I was thinking of sending it to that reporter too, of just like, just maybe so that they might run a story on something like this, since there have been more and more stories coming out. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we hope that some journalists will pick up on this story. Uh, And, uh, you know, we we all point to things that, you know, that we uh, recognize that, um, have really kind of caught hold. You know, we, we're looking at the uh, John Oliver show, for example, or something like that. Millions of people watching that. Um, mostly they're watching it for entertainment value. It is a pretty entertaining thing to watch. But there is, there's, a, there's a message there. And, um, uh, and so uh, we, if we can get journalists to write articles about this, um, uh, we can... I think get even more increase awareness. Um, the politicians will wax and wane uh, unless an employer is so big. I mean, we're probably not going to get a politician who represents uh, uh, Herbalife's home turf or Newskin's home turf to change their support in any way. Um, but we can heighten awareness among politicians, state or federal, um, about the issues. And um, we can change the minds. Yeah, it's just Peter. taking those steps to bring awareness. And I did want to highlight, because I want to be respectful of your time, because I appreciate it so very much. I did want to highlight Michelle's website, right. which 
Everybody can go to mlmchange.org. Um, Spanish is coming soon, but if you click English, you can see that there is a lot of information here, including um, Bill's slides that Michelle um, made really super pretty. And one of the things on here is a quiz that Dave Vaughn made that you can take that will give you information in terms of, well, what should you focus on? And if you go through it, you will be given the results for it. And I'm just going to click through here randomly and see what we get. It's not showing up on at least the oh, shared huh? screen I have. Oh, well, thank you for telling me. Oh, because it went to another tab. Hang on and let me see if I can get it. Well, you're doing things that Doug and I don't know how to do, so. There it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. And why not? I'll say I am. And then it tells you where to focus on the different questions that are in the um the information that's out there right now. And again, you can go to Michelle's website. I'll put it again in the chat. It is mlmchange.org. And I want to say thank you to both of you. And if you guys can hang out for a few minutes after we, we close out here, thank you to my mods. Thank you to everybody who has participated if you have any questions you know you can ask them now if you don't have any questions that's cool but i do think the main thing is is that the people are coming together to take action and you know unlike before there's a whole bunch of people on social media now social media is a thing and we're on all the platforms and people are talking about these companies and their antics and i think that it probably makes them a little bit on the nervous side Oh, we know that. We've seen it in their own publications there, that you, uh, your activities uh, collectively uh, on social media, the anti-MLM uh, activities uh, are being noticed by the company. It's stressing them. Um, and uh, so um, I, I personally am not on um, social media other than LinkedIn and Twitter and and Twitter's driving me crazy anyhow. So I may not be on that. I don't know if it's too long. We'll see. But um, I did leave my email as well. If you have a question, a specific question for me, I'm happy to, to answer it. Um, and, um, uh, and I appreciate uh, a lot, so much uh, work that you guys are putting in. And, and it is all personal time. You know, we, we, there are other things, there are other ways you could be using your time. And we know that. Um, but, you know, this is a problem that Doug and I have a deep awareness of. Um, we, we've read depositions of people who have been harmed. We've read depositions of people who it's caused stress in their family. It's caused divorces. It's caused family members to talk to each other. Friends no longer talk to each other. Um, people losing a fair amount of money. And you multiply the times the number of people who lost the money. Um, and so even the FTC surveys show hundreds of thousands of people who may be subject to pyramid schemes. And even if we're not talking about pyramid schemes, uh, people who who have the right to honest information about um, a business opportunity. I think Roberta said something very important is they can't stop us anymore. And that's the thing is that we find each other and we all are telling our stories. And because we're telling our stories, 
other people get the courage and they start speaking out as well. And that's once the genie is out of the bottle, it's a little bit hard to put that genie back in. And we're out there and we're talking and we're not going to stop talking about it. (laughs) But I do want to thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thank you, Alanda. And everyone else, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And, you know, come back tomorrow. I will be back on talking about on passive. I can't remember which video I'm doing um, off the top of my head, but I'll be talking about on passive. So come back and it'll probably be around 6 or 7 p.m. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Remember, you're beautiful and I love you. Goodbye.